My face was full of blood. My body was physically in so much pain. It was completely dark, but I couldn't do anything. I felt completely helpless. If I wanted to survive this, I needed to pull myself out. From HV Studio, this is Unnerved. Welcome back to the Unnerved Podcast. It's where normal people share their abnormal stories, and if you enjoy true stories of the strange and terrifying, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Chris Fricky. If you're like me, sometimes I need a reset. Something to help decompress from stress and all the noise that life brings. For me, escaping into nature is the perfect place to decompress and evaluate life. The fresh air and beautiful scenery helps relax the mind and bring clarity. But at times, we might find ourselves doing this completely alone. But being alone in unfamiliar territory is when we're most susceptible to danger. In today's story, Amber shares an experience where she found herself alone on a hike in Arizona. What started as an enjoyable adventure and a new place quickly became a battle to survive. Amber would endure the worst physical and mental challenge of her life. This is her story. Well, the date was uh, May 20th, 2016, and I had just completed my first year out of college, and I was a nurse, so three 12-hour shifts is all I worked a week. I was going around a lot with my free time, and I made a goal for myself to hit all 50 states in my 20s. On this particular trip, I had two weeks vacation, and the first week I was at a nursing conference in New Orleans. I flew out west, and my second week was going to be exploring Nevada, Arizona, and Utah. I flew out west and headed towards this beautiful ranch that I found on Airbnb, and that's where I was going to spend my first night. This next morning, I planned to drive 45 minutes north to Kanab, Utah to volunteer at Best Friends Animal Society. My mom knew, and when I arrived at this ranch in Arizona, I told the owners. So at this point, they also knew. So when I arrived at this Airbnb, I had spoken with the owners for about 45 minutes. It was almost sunset on a Friday night, so I asked them if they could give me a nearby recommendation. And they said, you know, you can hike up the backyard, there's some beautiful petroglyphs at the top. He said, about half of our visitors can find them. I'm a really competitive person, so so I wanted to be in the half that found them. So I started my hike up. I am by no means an expert 
hiker, but I've spent my whole life outdoors. I have horses. We do a lot of hiking, uh, camping, everything in Wisconsin and Minnesota where I've lived previously. But, you know, it's a different type of terrain. There was a tree with a little circle around it. And from that point on, I couldn't see a trail. So I sort of created my own from what looked like it would be where the trail follows. Instead of looking under the boulders at the top, I climbed over them and I should have looked underneath them for the petroglyphs. So I was about an hour into this hike. I had reached the top and I was amazed. It was a beautiful spot, but I quickly realized I'm not going to find these petroglyphs and the sun is setting. So I started to backtrack my steps and it didn't take long before I realized I have no idea how I got up here. Like everything looking down looked a lot different than coming up. The markers that I thought I had tracked disappeared. Of course, I was embarrassed to call 911 for help. I just got upset with myself. And so I was like, I need to find my way down. I'm not calling anybody. This is embarrassing. I have a commitment in the morning. I was upset more than scared. I probably spent 15, 20 minutes trying to find a way down and every way I started, I just struggled and I reached a cliff edge where I couldn't get any further down. I felt defeated, but I thought, you know what, I'm just going to call 911. And that's when I realized I had absolutely no service. I couldn't see anybody even on the ground for miles around me. And so that's when panic really set in. I had, I think it was probably about 10 feet. I had this boulder that I needed to literally climb down. I didn't have a harness, you know, no way to protect myself, but I had to climb down this. And if I would have fallen, there wasn't really an edge to catch me. But at this point, I didn't really feel like I had a way up. So I just remember checking my phone and it was 7.45 and I climbed down this boulder, you know, bracing myself. Thank God I had the arm strength for it. And I reached the bottom. I felt really relieved. Thank God I'm gonna get myself out of here. I was determined. And that's my last memory. I woke up at about 9.15 p.m. It was completely dark. My face was full of blood. My body was physically in so much pain. I had no idea what happened. I just remember grabbing my phone out of my bag and seeing an hour and a half later, something happened. You know, I, I hurt myself. And I ended up actually being over a mile away from where I last checked my phone and a hundred feet straight down in a slot cannon. So 
So of course I didn't uh, plan to go that direction, but I just must not have been able to go down. And what I later learned on, based on my injuries, I broke my nose. So I must have hit my face first, knocking me unconscious. And I landed on my feet. Based on my injuries, I had spinal pelvic disassociation, which means I literally broke my sacrum completely in half. It's also called the suicide jumper fracture. So my body was basically split in two pieces. So uh, I couldn't stand up, I couldn't walk, um, I couldn't really feel much from my waist down. And I think the reason I survived is because I must have hit my face first and just fallen like, like a wet noodle. You know, I never tried to stop myself. I didn't break any parts of my arms, my legs. It all was my pelvis. It was dark, it was cold. Uh, it dropped from the 70s to, I believe, the 50s that night. It was one of the most record high windy nights. Physically, I was in so much pain. So I was in a space about 10 by 10 feet, probably, completely enclosed. Nothing probably could have reached me, but I didn't know that. I was worried about animals or rattlesnakes or, you know, bears something sniffing me out and, and attacking me but I couldn't do anything I felt completely helpless that night I just kind of went in and out of consciousness um, I was awake a lot but I also I don't remember a lot of it I just laid there I just kind of accepted this this might be my fate I don't know I don't know what's gonna happen next as the sun rose the next morning I realized that if I wanted to survive this, I needed to pull myself out. I needed to figure it out because my mom knew where I was. The owners knew where I was, you know, roughly, but I didn't know if anybody would really look for me. I didn't even know my exact location. I ended up climbing out of this little cave that I was stuck in. There was a small opening and I got myself to the edge of the slot cannon and I looked down and I was still a couple hundred feet above ground and there was nowhere for me to go, especially because at this point I was crawling. I couldn't, you know, I was pretty helpless. So I sat at that edge for a while. It was probably over an hour and I just looked down. I waited to see if I saw any life, any sort of movement, there was nothing. I thought about just dropping my body off the edge. I thought I'm either gonna die and get it over with and put myself out of my misery because I was physically in so much pain. Or I thought maybe I'll survive. I can roll, you know, roll myself down. Maybe I'll survive and then somebody will at least find me or I can crawl somewhere, you know. I was looking for really any little strain of hope because I was really, really desperate. Thankfully, I reasoned with myself not to do that, because for sure I would have died. So I crawled my way back in, but going back in now, the size of the hole I had crawled out hadn't changed, but I don't know if it was the way I was pulling myself or what, but getting back into that small space, I could barely fit, and I kind of had to squeeze my pelvis to fit through. Again, screaming through the pain, I was pretty helpless. I still wanted to survive, but I just, I just didn't know what to do. 
at this point, I didn't have any water left. I finished it when I was like before my fall at the top. The few things I had in my backpack at that point really weren't helpful. I had some wipes, some carabiners, a small pack of nuts, which I didn't, I had no desire to eat anything. I heavily relied on my phone. I was sending out messages to the owners of this Airbnb, to my parents, to some of my friends. Of course, nobody received any of the messages because I didn't have service. Um, they did later, which was really traumatic for my parents. But yeah, at this time, I really utilized my phone and relied on it to keep me positive. So I looked through all the pictures on my phone and like I said, I just finished my first year as a adult, you could say, out of school. I had been traveling a lot. I think this was the 13th state I had been to this year. And I had just a few months earlier flown around the world from my home in Minnesota to London, down to Southeast Asia, to a few countries there, through Tokyo and back to Minnesota. So literally, I flew around the world and I was just on such a hype at that point in my life. I loved it, I was so happy. Looking through all these pictures on my phone, it just, it made me feel really, really good and so grateful for my opportunities. I kind of came to the conclusion like, okay, I don't want to die, but if I do, thank God, like I lived my life the way I wanted. Like I wasn't afraid, I, I did a lot. So I was really proud of myself. So I got to that step where it just was kind of accepting what happened. But again, I still didn't want to give up. You know, I wanted to get out of there. Eventually that afternoon, I had this vision. I had this man's voice start speaking to me and I couldn't see anyone. I just saw it was just bright. This voice told me, you need to start climbing up. You will survive. Somebody is coming to get you, but you need to climb. You need to climb. I don't know what what caused it. You know, I do believe in God, so I don't know if it was my beliefs or what. So I started trying to climb up, and because I was in a slot cannon, it was almost like a natural rock staircase where I could climb up part of the way, but the first boulder was a large one. I pulled myself up to my feet, and then I tried to jump to get up on top of it, and I just fell. Fell back down and pulled, and again, my pelvis was broken, so probably doing myself a lot of damage. I can't do this. And I screamed and cried, it hurt so bad, and then I laid there for a while. I had to do it, I didn't have any other choice. I need to do it again, I need to try, I need to build up the momentum, so that's what I did. I jumped again, I made it, I just laid there and smiled and cried, and I was so proud of myself for getting over this first boulder. And then eventually I got back up and I, I kept climbing, little by little, I climbed as far as I could. And yeah, at the time, when I climbed up and I got to this little ledge, it was very, gosh, maybe three feet wide, it wasn't very wide, I was stuck. From here, it was just straight up. There was nowhere I could go. Physically, I couldn't crawl back down. I was also afraid if I slept on this ledge that I would eventually just fall again because I really didn't have a lot of space. 
ups, downs, ups, downs. I was on a roller coaster of emotions. I just hit rock bottom mentally. I thought, I'm not getting out, I'm stuck. I'm in a worse place than I was before. And at this point also, I was by the opening of the cannon. So the wind was hitting me, I was shivering. It sucked, it was not, it was not good. I laid on this edge for about three hours. And during this time, I took pictures of my face, which this was the first time that I really thought I was gonna die. Um, where I really, really lost all hope. I took pictures of myself and I wrote goodbye messages to my family. And this was kind of like me closing the chapter and accepting that I'm not gonna get out of here. I don't think I'm gonna survive another night. I kind of accepted it for myself that like I was happy with the way I lived my life. I had a great life, I, you know, I have a great life. Um, but if this is the end, it's the end. I kind of accepted that for me, but I just couldn't get the idea of my family out of my head, you know, what they're gonna hear, they're never gonna find my body, they're never gonna know. So that was the part that I really, really struggled with. I just felt like I really let them down. Because family, family's number one. I was laying on this edge. I was on it for about three hours and sunset, I started hearing noises. I blew my whistle and it was very faint, but I started blowing my whistle like crazy. They thought it was a bird. You know, they got suspicious. They're like, that can't be a bird. That's That's gotta be a call for help. They heard the whistle, they brought the search and rescue crew. There was about a hundred people looking. Uh, Kingman, Arizona helicopter came in. So all the local search and rescue plus them. So they brought the helicopter over to that area and they were flying and flying and, you know, looking. It was a just vast area everywhere. And I was just so desperate waiting for them to look in my cannon and find me. At this point, I was on my knees. I had my left arm pushing up my body, supporting myself. My whistle was still in my mouth, which, you know, you can't hear with a helicopter. I didn't think that because I was just on survival mode. But uh, if you logically think through, you're never gonna hear a whistle. But it actually worked out well because when they heard my whistle, they knew the helicopter was in the wrong direction. And when they couldn't hear my whistle, they were, you know, getting closer. I had my right arm just waving over my body with my phone and my light in my hand, just trying to make myself as visible as I could. The weird thing about earlier having that like vision, that inspiration to climb up, I actually got to an area where I was visible from the helicopter. Where I was lying previously, they would have never seen me. But I was on this ledge, waving my arm, and all of a sudden, you know, finally that helicopter they shined right in my cannon. You know, that moment I'll never forget where I saw a man in the helicopter point right at me and my heart just sunk. They found me, they saw me, I'm gonna live, you know, I'm, I'm gonna survive. It was powerful. 
But because of the location of where I was at, it then took another six hours to actually get me out of the cannons. It was around a little after midnight when they had reached me in the cannon and they flew a few first responders on top of the slot cannons. But at this point, remember, it was completely dark again. There's no light pollution out here, so it's dark and it's dangerous for everyone. So they set up a camp on top of the cannons and then they brought one guy down in a harness. He was the first person I had contact with. And because of the nature of where I was stuck, they couldn't use the basket, which they typically would use for people. Uh, it was a really narrow area, so they actually had to put me in a climbing harness, and that's how they pulled me out. So remember, my pelvis is already broken. They put me in a rock climbing harness, and the two of us went up together. So again, it was really painful, but at this point, you know, I wasn't alone anymore, and I was doing whatever it took to get myself out of there. So I got out around one in the morning and I was up on top of the cliffs with them. At this point, I was just so relieved, but I was still physically in a lot of pain. They assessed me as a level two trauma. I needed serious help. Uh, my nerves were pinching. I had fractures from T11 through L1, my thoracic and my lumbar spine, compression fractures and then where my sacrum was, those nerves were, some were severed, some were torn. Another part of this is I tore all of the nerves in my pelvis, so I couldn't go to the bathroom. My bladder was another thing. I had no way, you know, to do that. So uh, my bladder was like, I think they assessed it was between like two and three liters full at this point and we didn't realize that at first but like my bladder was so full it was pushing on everything i had no urge to go because i couldn't feel anything i had so much pressure from that i was still screaming and excruciating pain they had given me pain meds but i needed to get to the hospital so their plan was to camp out with me until sunlight when it was safer to remove me Thank God, another miraculous thing that happened for me, the wind. Again, it was a really, really windy day, extreme even for that time. The wind completely stopped. There was nothing. They just decided in that moment, we need to bring the helicopter and we need to get her off and get her to the hospital. They put me on the edge of the rock you know, down in fetal position and with my head down, my hands covering my head. And they said, do not move until somebody comes to get you. You need to stay in this position. And what they did actually was they couldn't land the helicopter. So they brought it to the edge of the slot cannon. They put one of the skis down on the rock and then opened the door. And when they were ready, they pulled me, grabbed me in and away I went. The wind literally stopped for 15 minutes, that's it. As soon as I hit the ground, because I took an ambulance then to the hospital, they just flew me from the top a couple hundred feet down to the ground. It was about a 15 minute time frame. One of my first responders, she, the EMT, she was like, Amber, I swear, 15 minutes, that wind picked right back up. It was a miracle that it stopped.
I had emergency surgery in the ER. I made contact with my parents. So I had six pins placed and my mom flew out the next day. I immediately had so much support, so many people helping me, taking care of me, sending letters, um, sending mail. I had a lot of support from Mayo Clinic, a lot of support from Best Friends Animal Society. My recovery was amazing. After 10 days at Dixie Regional Medical Center, I was at Mayo Clinic another seven days, had surgery on my broken nose there. And then I went home, I was on bed rest. You know, I'm a nurse, so when they told me rehab, I said, no way, I'm going home. I'm recovering at my parents' house. So my mom became my caregiver and we had a few other friends help us out, which was phenomenal. My dog never left my side. I was on bed rest for three months and then I started physiotherapy seven months off of work. And a year later, I had surgery again. Uh, the fracture lines were still there, but it was stable enough. I had all the pins removed. And a year and a half later, I went back to work full time and here I am today. Amber Conehorst has a love for travel and for animals. That's what took her to Utah on a trip to volunteer at an animal sanctuary. It's a trip that didn't go as planned. And I'm lucky I'm alive. While hiking in Cane Beds, Arizona on Friday, Amber got lost and worried. She says that's the last thing she remembers. Amber had fallen tumbling 100 feet down the side of a rock ledge. I literally just went from one side to the other and I screamed every time I moved because I thought I was going to die. A broken nose and pelvis, fractured vertebrae, a spinal injury and much more. Broken physically and emotionally, Amber used her cell phone, which didn't have service, to take photos to send to loved ones. I basically at that point I wrote my parents notes because I thought I was, you know, I didn't know if I'd see him again and I wanted to give them goodbyes. But what Amber didn't know was a search crew of about 100 had formed. The owners of the Airbnb where she was staying noticed she hadn't come back and called authorities. About 28 hours after her fall, she was spotted by a helicopter rescue crew. Physically, I, I've struggled a lot and mentally, especially right after my accident, that the first two years, I had a lot of PTSD and um, traumatic nightmares. You know, I would I would just wake up in a panic. I couldn't sleep in the dark for a while. And so there were a lot of things that I did struggle with. And I think it's important for people to know that because we all, when we go through events, we process it our own way. And, and it's normal to struggle, but I knew I had a choice and I couldn't let myself down. And I think that's the biggest message that I try to send to people today is follow your heart, like take your brain with you, be smart about it, but like follow your heart, do what makes you happy and get out of your comfort zone. You know, we, we only have one life, we gotta live it the best way we can. And that's what I still try to do. And to be honest, my accident really taught me a good lesson on how to live my best life, so. I feel like I'm a much better person. I try not to focus on what some people would call failures, I guess. My goal was to get to all 50 states in my 20s. I had my accident and then COVID hit. So I've hit 40 of those 50 states. I didn't complete my goal, but you know what? At some point in my life, I'm gonna get it done and I'm gonna enjoy it. So what advice would you give to other hikers? There's so many hikers that go missing or people that have fallen. I always, always, always have a whistle on me. You know, it's a dollar investment and that's something I've told people. 
over and over again. I don't care if you're in the streets or if you're in the country. Buy a whistle, keep it on you. You never really know when it can save you. I get stories sent to me all the time. Some survive and some don't. And it goes to show how common it is. And I just know I'm one of the lucky ones. Thank God my life did work out the way it did. Over 1,000 people on average go missing from national parks and public lands every year. Amber was one of the lucky ones. Her traumatic experience is a miraculous story of survival that most of us can't even imagine. I'm not trying to scare anyone away from hiking alone, but if you do, always tell someone exactly where you're going and when you're going to return. This small step could make the difference between life and death. Thanks again for listening to Unnerved. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you guys want to see photos related to each episode, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Unnerved Podcast. There, you'll be able to see the goodbye selfie photos that Amber took of herself, as well as the 100-foot drop that she fell from. Until next time, take care.